as CTOs, we're going to have to look at how our companies are impacted by this and made me reflect on a conversation I had with my son recently. We were on an RV trip and he was explaining to me how Rocket League dropped a skin and the skin would only be available for two or three days. The only way he could purchase that skin was on his Xbox, which was at the house. And we were RVing away from the Xbox. And it made me think about this idea of ownership in that if I purchase the skin inside of Rocket League and I have that financial transaction, the only backing that I have of that transaction is that the skin that is inside of Rocket League's ecosystem, which is graphics that belongs to Rocket League, they have a little contract in their database, a transaction that says, oh, by the way, Jacques bought this thing, so he's able to install that onto his little race car. The ecosystem from within which you purchased is the thing that takes your money and validates that you now own. It's a attribution, right? You, you purchased it and now my app, my SaaS company says you now can do this and that with our data. My point is any SaaS application I sign up for, any, and we can take this into our medical records, but really there's a point of engagement that says because Etienne is a user of the SaaS app, he now has access to these records in our database. And the only way that happened was because some Boolean was flipped inside of that SAS's database. And now I rely on the fact that they know who I am and my transaction is on their records. And I, But I actually don't own that data. I am told that I own it, but I don't. It's not literally on a, a disk drive in my pocket. It's assigned to me. And now my second track is SOC 2 says, hey, before I do business with you, I need some insights into how you do business. So now B2B organizations are starting to insist that I'm not just going to believe that you do business in a way that is not going to screw me up. I now need to see proof, an audited report of how you do business. What if the consumer starts coming and saying, listen, I don't, I don't want you to tell me that I own my skin to the rocket car. I, I, don't, I, I need to know that I own it. Hey, SaaS company, I don't care if you tell me that my account has been upgraded to the pro level because my 30 bucks went through. That's not proof enough anymore because now I'm relying on customer service I'm relying on the contingency of employees I I have no real ownership so my question is what if as we're building our SaaS organizations it's not up to the CTO's creativity and imagination to say oh we can do this and this is going to be amazing but what if like with SOC 2 where if you want to do business you have to do SOC 2 what if we get to a place with SaaS where target audience is going to start saying and be educated enough, i.e. our children, to say, dude, when I, if Rocket League tanks, I still want to have that little car and that little skin. I don't want my purchase to be beholden to your company's viability and success. We're all seeing a general backlash to techno giants and it seems to be a genuine conversation around how are some people allowed to be so successful and control the narrative. From seven CTOs, my name is Etienne De Bruyne and you're in the CTO studio.
see validity in, in what I'm saying and is this all way too obvious and this is what I should have known before we had this conversation or are CTOs far and sunder going to be faced with an educated user base that is going to view the ownership of their data in a completely different light to what we were willing to put up with. I think it's a really interesting analogy that you draw to SOC 2, which is a, a poll from customers. And I don't have a, an answer. Hopefully some of the guys will have, have a better idea. But I, as an aside, it seems like that's the way, that's what should happen. But what we've seen from some of the initial steps some of the game companies have tried to make, there's a huge backlash where people didn't want it as they tried to start to, to propose having NFTs. One theory I heard that I thought was really interesting was that Games are different in that it's an escape for a lot of people. And as soon as you bring real world financial transactions where I'm managing NFTs and they have some value and they might, there might be a marketplace where they trade. Now it's not an escape anymore. It's work. I have to think about the monetary aspect of this more than just giving you my 20 bucks from, for a game pass and a few bucks for skins. It takes it from being an escape to being like a financial product that has work. I don't know if that's right or not. But I was very surprised at the backlash and the initial forays that gaming has tried to make, nor, like normal gaming. I don't, I, I expected it would go the other way and it, it just has. So I don't really have a good idea why that is. But yeah, I think if I had to make a guess, Etienne, I think maybe in the future, but we're so far away from that. I don't think we're anywhere near, again, like getting back to what Frank said, right? People wanting to sacrifice whatever con convenience they have in exchange for ownership of their data. And self-custodying that data and really having to have really strong passwords to protect that data. <laughs> like, I don't see the broader world being terribly excited about that prospect for a very long time. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's what I see. I think the NFT market as it sits today is a perfect example of why that's going to be very difficult to do. Uh, I think I posted a while back a video from the guy that was the interview with the dude that runs the NFT Bay which is similar to the Pirate Bay, except it's a developer that basically scraped the entire blockchain for Ethereum to show people where their NFT actually lives. And the point in that video, the point in that interview they did was to show that, look, you're not buying the image. You're not even buying like base 64 version of the image that lives on the blockchain. That would be too expensive. Like, you, like these million dollar NFTs would literally be using all of that money just to render the data on the blockchain directly. Most of the NFTs that you're seeing, and that's why companies are jumping left and right on top of this stuff, is because it's cheap. It's a URL for the most part, pointing to some image on the IPFS. And there's nothing that says that IPFS location is going to be there in the future. Somebody could literally just take those images off of IPFS and suddenly you've paid your $80,000 for your base monkey, whatever thing, base gorilla meme or whatever, and it's gone. And, and you have no recourse. You have no no way to get it back because somebody somewhere that sold you the NFT a year later took it off the IPFS and you have no idea where, where it went or because it, it's not actually on the blockchain. It's merely a link to the thing of the blockchain. And so I think that from a technology perspective, the, the, the way that we get to that future is number one, the blocks themselves need to be bigger. That was the big sort of argument between Bitcoin Cash guys or the Bitcoin Cash guys wanted bigger blocks, wanted more space within the chains themselves to, to store data, to store real data from a transactional purpose. And, and I think when you start seeing that happen, where there's bigger blocks and there's enough 
it there to actually store actual data, right? Like actual images, actual stuff that isn't like texts or links or whatever the case is. That's, I think, when the NFT world will be a real serious thing because then the data that you buy will exist on the chain directly. And it won't just be a, what I would consider a ripoff link to another location where it actually lives. Michael, just real quick, am I crazy or is our IPFS address, the data on IPFS address is immutable? So they can copy it, but they can't delete it, right? I, I could be wrong here, but from my understanding, the IPFS is nearly a file store. So, so it could be removed, like it could go away. And, and that was the argument that, that the interviewer from the from the NFT Bay basically explained was that, hey, somebody at some point could take it down because uh, it's basically like a dark web. Basically, if you think about it from that perspective, it's just a link that lives on someone's machine. And if that machine gets taken down, like it's gone. Like the URL, the equivalent of a URL in IPFS is just a hash of the data at that location. But but it's still at a location. <laughs> like it's still physically stored, has to be physically stored somewhere. And so that's the argument that, they, that the NFT bag I had was that if that data isn't immutable, the, the, the hash is immutable. The, the URL link to the location is, is immutable on the blockchain, but the physical file itself is not. And so that physical file could disappear and you just see a lot of really upset people because of that. If I'm wrong, I'm willing to, to, to look into it more, but that was a really great inter. I do think that the data on IPFS is immutable and all of the things that go into the content create its ID so that I don't think it could be changed without changing the ID, which means that I think the ID will always point at that object, no matter where it happens to live. Could be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure when I was perusing the, <laughs> the IPFS stocks, there wasn't. Although I, I will say like my, Michael's claim about other NFT projects that don't start on IPFS are 100% perfectly valid. So it's not like it's not a problem. Yeah, this is a really interesting conversation, especially when I think about, just like you said with, I forget the game, but my son's really into Fortnite and, and all the skins and all that stuff. And when Fortnite isn't a game anymore, is all the money that he spent in V-Bucks, is that gone? Obviously, there's a lot of technology that goes into, if you're going to port a skin from one game to another, there has to be some sort of like universally agreed upon rendering of how that skin will get used. And I think that it's interesting. The technology might not solve it for this use case, but I'll bet that there'll be some other thing that winds up solving this problem that then will be able to be backported to make it possible to solve this problem at some point in the future. Just to follow up on, on Michael's point, the, the one thing about IPFS is somebody has to pay for the storage to continue to exist. So if they stop paying, then that thing could go away. There are some groups, I think they're VC groups that do investing in NFTs that are rapidly backing up like all NFTs everywhere to other sources so that that won't happen. And then there are also some new file system projects that you pay for a hundred years of storage in advance, like when you store it, you pay uh, up front to avoid that problem too. But you're right, it's completely opaque. No one really has any idea where these things actually exist. I don't necessarily know that it's important that they're on the chain themselves, but they have to be on some technology that has some persistent distributed storage that's reliable in, in some way like that, or it's definitely a problem. Yeah. And there are some companies out there, obviously doing something like this, but I think that doesn't this wind up being them now being the centralized place that all of that's getting stored. I was also looking in, There's a, there was a company called Skynet, I think, or a group called Skynet that was allowing you to, when you use distributed apps, I think you could store them in like a wallet that is just for you so that nobody could get rid of that app at some point in the future. 
So you'll always have reference to it because you are actually storing it in your user space. I'm just not sure of what the technology behind all of that is. And I think you're going to see, it's not going to go away. People spent too much money. It just might disappear for a while and everyone, there's an uproar and some enterprising young person or big company will have backed it all up and then they'll pay us, they'll charge a small fee and you'll get your stuff back. There's a group for whatever the Lego universe is that went down and now there's a fan community that Lego's actually backing up in that little VR world. And Star Wars Galaxies went down 15, 20 years ago, not 20 years ago, but 15, 18 years ago, Star Wars Galaxy servers went down. Sony shut them down. And they've allowed people to bring up servers again, again, and you can do all that. I think the skins, the NFTs, that'll go to a public domain or user group authority. But at the same time, there will be standards for avatars, for digital clothes, skins, etc. But the marketplace, I think the marketplace for those, it's going to work itself out. This is in answer to Etienne's, how are some people going to be allowed to be so successful and write the narrative in the future? And maybe he didn't say going to be. It's like, how are they now? And I think it's just history rewriting itself. It's going to be the same way. So for me, this is the gold rush, right? There's this, if I need an audited report of how I do business, there's the metaverse and there's the Oasis and, and we'll be backed up with the blockchain and such. I will say of all the conversations we've had, I feel pretty lost. Just, I feel and maybe you guys have all gotten a lot of value from this and I, I love it. I love, we could talk about this all day. So I'm curious to, to get a sense, a pulse from you guys. What are you just thinking about this conversation we've had? What are you guys feeling? What's happening for you? Are you feeling like where there's, there's some clarity Are we, do you feel like a bunch of words are being said and, and it's holding on to some concepts just a, a, bit, a bit of a vulnerable moment yeah just give me a sense of what's happening for you guys on this chat i still feel like i'm grasping with the relevance for the cto i think it, it's really important like the one thing we can agree on probably is that ctos need to get educated and understand this stuff and try to keep track because this is going to be a like a gold rush time it, it's a big a lot of things are going to move and change and there's a lot of opportunity out there but i'm not sure that there's any sage advice for CTOs generally, because it's going to be so differentially impactful on businesses. If you're in the financial space, you better buckle up real quick. But if you're in other spaces, I don't know. As a tech person, to me, I'm wandering aimlessly at the moment because I'm free to pr pursue a, a new company idea. But if I were in a significant tech position in a company, I'd have to do some soul searching right now to see whether I stay on course with what I'm doing or I go pursue, go west and pursue this new thing. So for me, it's almost like a philosophical time about do you jump into this new tech or do you continue doing what you're doing? And then if you do stay doing what you're doing, what's the impact on the, on the existing business? Yeah, the cool thing is there's still COBOL programmers out there. So nobody's going to lose a job overnight, I don't think. But I totally echo Brian's comments. I think answering your question, Etienne, I think the devil in all of these things is in the details. I feel like one of the things that that is probably a way to to get some grounding is to take an actual plausible or, or question about a use case. Should I use these technologies to solve this problem? Or I am in this field, how can this technology help me? And really dive in and, and think about the details, all of the very small details that make the difference between just like any technological decision, this being a good 
technological decision versus a bad one. I think it's relatively easy to talk about generalities, but I think probably your average person gets left, well, how does this relate to me? And the, the answer is, we just have to do the hard work, right? I think this discussion was really interesting from the perspective of literally in, in a minute or two, we were we were questioning, well, is it immutable? Is it not immutable? And then it took two seconds for us to do the research and say, okay, there, there is a like light chance that somebody could unpin something and then it could get garbage collected on the IPFS front. The fact that we don't know these answers right off the bat and we have to look it up to answer that and say, okay, it could disappear, that sort of thing. Like, how would somebody who isn't technical, who doesn't understand or doesn't able, isn't able to read documentation, be able to know that. And so I think like the fact that we went into that discussion thinking one thing, and then maybe we, we think something else, I think is an important thing for, from not just our perspective, but the perspective of the folks that are in this industry. It's why it takes a technical, like you need a technical look at this stuff to really understand it. And maybe McDonald's and Nike are fine. Maybe they'll keep their IPFS you know, stuff up for a hundred years, Joe Schmo or, or the 12 year old that's selling his little sister's drawings on an NFT marketplace isn't necessarily going to be doing that. And so I think those are serious technical questions that need to be discussed, need to be talked about. And I think the more technical we get on, in these talks and in these discussions, it's going to be confusing. It's going to hurt our heads. It's going to hurt our brains. But I think ultimately that's the value for the folks listening is those technical discussions of, hey, this is what's possible. This is what's not. This is what you should avoid because of these reasons or those reasons. And, and, and just giving people a fundamental understanding of the technology itself. I agree, Etienne. I think we're finding our way through this. This is the conversation for me is actually very invigorating. We're searching for what's possible, opportunities, maybe threats, right? From the shield point of view. Michael and Augustine talk like they've been in here and done these things. I've seen it. So that's great. But this conversation is great. It's a where we're going conversation. And I think if this thread goes on for a year, then we'll have, we'll have a much different conversation then because we'll have done some of the things. So we're going to have the knowledge that comes by doing. So anyway, that's where I'm at. Yeah. And I think for me, it's within our organizations, I think it's important to be vulnerable when people ask questions, you know, you, it's okay to not have an answer. I, I think it's not okay to be completely blindsided and just say, I'm not going to pay attention to this thing at all because I think it's, it's crap or whatever. But I think, like we said, it's evolving. There's a lot we don't know. We can go out and try to find answers and we could try to talk use cases and see what's, see how the, the evolution takes place and keep, keep tracks of some things and, and know what's coming and going. But having all the answers, I don't think is something that we should necessarily be expected to know, I guess, unless our business is just built on this entirely and in the space. And I can tell you in the spirit of vulnerability, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm trying to figure it out. I can tell you like when I started learning AWS and spun up an Elasticsearch server to try it out when it came out on the East Coast and then shut down all my servers and ran on the West Coast, I got a $700 bill because I forgot to shut that server down that was doing nothing. So you got to learn that way. And you know, Brian, your point about really the call is out. Like, hey, CTO type, you need to educate yourself. There is, whether it's called Web3 or Schweb3 or whatever, these, the blockchain conversation has been around now for a long time. NFTs have certainly brought an interesting consumer twist on this for content creators. And now the conversations around metaverse and ownership and identities. So I think... The call is out for CTOs to educate themselves, and I appreciate that. I also appreciate the fact, which all of you basically said, was 
there is a lot to be uncovered. And Michael, like you said, even learning about stuff on the fly, that these types of collaborations can help educate all of us on, now, for instance, IPFS, the thing we just learned about that. So I think being open and collaborative in learning about this makes me really happy. The two things that are present with me right now is one, I have a sense that there's a coming tsunami of users that are our children that is overnight almost going to require something of data ownership that is unfathomable to us because we are the frogs in the boiling water. And we're just used to it. If, if Facebook said you purchased the ad, then great, you, you purchased the ad. And if Facebook says this is how many people it showed it to, okay, great, well, I'm cool with that. I just think that there's a tsunami coming of the next generation who is gonna, who's not going to trust that. So that's present with me. So to me, that's a forcing function to wanting to find, and I think we're talking a decade. I'm not, I don't think we're talking next year. We're talking a decade maybe. So understanding that the customers who are purchasing our products today, there will be a new set of customers buying new products. That's stating the obvious. The second thing is what do we do as CTOs to, or, or as technologists, as people who love to geek out on this stuff? But we're also running businesses. And I know, Brian, you're, you're not in that phase right now. But what are the next things that CTOs could and should do with that mantle of responsibility to educate themselves? Are we talking digging into the primitives and just should our next conversations be around blockchain, tokens, identity, DAOs, DeFi, NFTs? Should we just take them one at a time and just unpack the crap out of it? And then hopefully as we read a great book, so certain concepts will start revealing itself to us because it's, oh, we're starting to see the matrix. Is, is, that a good, is that a good way forward if we could? I can describe my mental model for, for learning about this world in case it's useful. I think one of the most useful things you can do is at the very beginning, try to really get a sense of what is the lay of the land. Just get submerged in the tsunami of all of the things that are going on with the understanding that you're not going to understand almost any of it. And that's okay. And then pick something somewhat arbitrarily and just go as deeply as you can, like really, like literally down to the point of like doing SHA-256 by hand, if that's what it takes, to really understand what's going on uh, so that you have a tiny sliver of thing that you know and understand from top to bottom. That doesn't help you with all this other stuff. But uh, so you have the broader picture and you have this tiny sliver of understanding. Then maybe you like you pick something else. And if you pick enough of these tiny little vertical things, then eventually you start seeing the connections between them. And then before, not before, like after much time, maybe you feel like you are not completely lost in this stuff and you understand some things. But getting back to, to, to what, what Ken said, I certainly feel that same thing every day that there's a new thing and it's like, oh, okay. All right. Do I have to spend time thinking about this? Should I spend time? That decision doesn't go away, but I certainly feel dumb very often in this world. From my perspective, I like to, I always like to approach these things from a customer perspective of it's really easy to find the technology as, as a CTO, find the technology really interesting and want to dig into all the primitives that make this stuff up. But at the end of the day, you're building things for people to use. 
So I think getting the perspective of what it's like to be a user of these things is how I always like to approach it. First thing for me was maybe buy some crypto. And then the next thing is, okay, now that I have this, what do I do? Can I take this anywhere? Oh, I need this thing called a wallet. So then I get a wallet or a couple of wallets and I transfer coins between them. And then, oh, these wallets are really like the representation of me to all of these apps out there. So then I have to sign in with my wallet to all these apps. So I like to be the user first to a lot of these things and then find the thing that is either interesting or speaks to something that is a personal interest or that is a client interest or something like that. And then Augustine said, then you really dive in on something and go pretty deep. But I think it's really valuable to come at this from the perspective of the customer first. Timing is also important, right? If you want to learn the privileges, if you're interested in understanding how blockchains work at a fundamental level, if you want to build your own blockchains at a fundamental level, I think those things are good things to do on your personal time, not necessarily on company time. But timing is a huge factor. Like when I was CTO at LocalStack back in 2016, I remember pitching a blockchain system, minimal blockchain system for advertisers and publishers. And, and, and it was too soon. It was six years ago. And nobody in the room understood what the hell I was talking about. Because what I, what I was trying to explain is this idea that, like, hey, advertisers pay us money and it's a black hole and they just tell us this is how much, this is how much you're worth this month or whatever the case is. And publishers, we just send them the advertisers at like users and stuff like that. And, and we know how many users we sent. We never get the data back from the advertisers. They're going to think. And then, and, and, and I, I, I love the idea, but even back then, but I realized early on that, Hey, like nobody I talk to understands what I'm talking about here, or they realize that it's really changes their business model completely. And nobody wants to play ball when it comes to something like that. Like, like nobody in the advertising space wants to give away the data of how much they're paying per click or how much actual users are accepting versus not accepting. And we had the benefit that we were both publishers and advertisers. We, we were both paying for ads and we were pay, getting paid for ads. And then, but outside of that, like nobody really wanted to be in that space and reveal their secret sauce, so to speak. And so I think timing is a huge thing. If you have a desire for understanding the derivatives, you should get into it because who's to say that you don't build your own stuff? Who's to say that you go Solidity or you go ERC or you, or you go... Uh, Stellan or whatever the case is, who's to say that you don't come up with a really interesting use case that your company really wants to back based on the primitives. But I think that's based on the CTO's level of comfort and how technical they want to be in this particular space. This actually reminds me a little bit, Etienne, you were talking about that first, wasn't seven CTOs even, it was a whiteboarding sessions. We had just tech people getting together and doing whiteboarding for a, a bunch of times. It reminds me of that in that we were talking about technical concepts that maybe were really new to people. Back then it was data analytics and scaling and privacy and all this stuff in the cloud. But 7CTOs became something else, right? It, it has all these people, but 7CTOs became about leading in your business and how do you handle your team and emotional intelligence and all these things were, that's the, that's the, the biggest value that I got not a technical concepts and connecting with the guys around technical things is what I love to do, but the medicine I needed wasn't that. So anyway, I just wonder as we talk about going back to the beginning, almost, or should we have technical sessions about these things? I don't know. There's a lot of information out there that you can go read the code for this stuff. Maybe it makes sense because this stuff is so new and so weird and so counter to the way we've fought for a long time. Maybe it makes sense to do some of those, to do a a pass of those again as Web3 kind of comes around and we all get our get a feeling for it. But I don't know. I think I think it's a 
I think it's an important decision whether you go down that path or not. I just don't know. It was only in the conversations that it eventually grew into something. And so why I'm loving this conversation, even as, even though I feel like I'm grasping just to stay at your pace, I have a trust. I have a trust that it's in these conversations, it's people listening to these conversations. It's the types of ideas that get provoked that somewhere in there, this is really just a discovery process. And if you have the right people in the room, the right attitude, collaboration, you, we're sparking more thoughts, more ideas, more conversations, not only for ourselves, but for people who are listening to this. So my vulnerability is just, I don't want to contribute to noise. And I know none of us do, but it would be in, in a vulnerable share. I just want to make sure that A, you guys feel like this is productive for yourself and B, the larger community feels like we're not on some hype bandwagon trying to cash in on keywords, but that we are truly contemplative about innovation coming over the mountains, like horses running over a hill towards us, which look adorable from a distance, but when they hit you, you're going to die. And so I want to be part of the CTO collaborative that's keeping an eye on what's coming over those mountains. So I'm trusting that these conversations will eventually bring something that none of us could potentially picture right now. Yeah, and I think the, the, the key point you make there, Etienne, is that if everybody knew what the future of this stuff held, then the course of action would also be pretty clear. And so part of the function, especially when you talk about S.H.I.E.L.D., is that yeah, the horses might be coming over the horizon, but they might not be horses or they might veer in a different direction. Like those are all possible future outcomes, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't at least think about whether those horses are going to run you over. I think that's the point here. These are very uncertain things. And echoing what everybody else said, the idea that you're going to say, it might not hit me, so I don't have to worry about it. That's probably not the world's most reasonable solution or stance for a CTO to have. Yeah. There's a coach who said the best offense is a good defense. And I don't know if I ever agreed with him, but he was more successful as a coach than I ever was. But I still see things in the, even in the framing of the shield point of view, I still see, to me, the best defense is a good offense, right? The, the opportunities here in what I believe is going to be winner-take-all markets, this is how the marketplaces of Web 2 have come to pass, especially in Web 3, yet another analogy. Windows didn't really take off until, what, Windows 3.1.1? Maybe we need a, a Web 3.1.3.1.1 or whatever. But I think part of where we move forward, how we shield our company is by being curious, staying hungry, staying foolish, to, to quote, and diving in. I've been playing with crypto zombies. There's some vulnerability I've been typing, so that makes me feel silly. And so I was going to, there's a couple things I want from, from Michael. One is his beard, another is his hair. But the third thing I want is the, third thing I want is the, is there something better than crypto? How do I, where would you point me to? For NFTs, like where would I start to dive in in the primitives? Because for a couple of reasons, I'd like to to get into NFTs and actually do something significant with it. There's no shortage of Udemy courses and all sorts of other things that will get you down the the, the physically doing it rabbit hole. If that makes sense, yeah, like that, like YouTube videos even for free. Like you can, you can there's an the unknowable number of folks posting YouTube videos and coding in real time and showing all this sort of stuff. So, so it, if you want to get into it. 
the resources are available. They're out there. It's just a matter of biting the bullet and finding time and taking a weekend or two or three, whatever the case is, to, to, to write this stuff. I think the biggest risk, I got into computing when I was a teenager, and it was because of a friend of the family's convincing my dad to, to buy his first computer when my dad didn't necessarily want to do that. And then that friend was an IBM programmer from back in the day. And, and over the years, I found myself almost switching roles with this dude where I was like advising him on his career projection of decisions and that kind of thing. And I do believe that there is something to be said about complacency with it. Like we get comfortable in our positions. We get comfortable in, in what we do. Like we get, once we get that role, that position, that, that salary, like we start to get comfortable and, and things like this only scare us because we're comfortable because like suddenly like everything that we believe might be changing and we have to do the work and get in and learn this stuff out. I'm not saying that you have to get into crypto or web three. Like it, it there's perfectly good continuation on the Web 2 front. And, and there's SaaS companies that are never going to go into Web 3. But if your goal isn't to just subsist, if your goal is to really achieve and win and, and, and just really do well with it within your market space, whatever it is, then complacency is the one thing that's going to kill people, especially in our line of work where everything we do changes on a regular daily basis. So yeah, go on YouTube, look up how to build a DAP, look up how to run your own, how to build your own token even. All of those videos are there. They're all much people much younger than us teaching us how to do this stuff. Uh, and I highly recommend getting into it and, and finding time to just, even if you don't do it full time, at least do it enough to have those conversations with your CEO and your COO and whoever else asks about it. The other quick thing uh, that I might say is just like learning a programming language, have a project, have a thing that you actually want to accomplish, that you want to get done, that you want to have a result for. Because that's just going to guide you in the directions. Because otherwise, it's just going to be like this. What is the thing you want to get done at the end? That'll help you focus your search. Your point there, Michael, is really important. One thing that's both terrified me uh, and inspired me as I've gotten into some of these projects is realizing that many of these really big, impactful blockchain projects are run by five 20 year olds like they're not maybe they're not 20 maybe they're 25 they don't have massive experience but these are some really smart thoughtful people especially for these projects many of the ones that have gotten traction they're really smart and they're really well thought out and they're gonna just run us over it's just fine but they're gonna run all the old people over if we're not educated i think we have a lot to contribute like our experience over time is really meaningful and can make all this stuff go better and be less sharp and pointy and painful for the public as they onboard to these technologies. Because one, one thing I do see a, a lot of the initial people that, that seem to be in crypto and blockchain, they don't mind the pointy elbows. Like they're young and they don't mind when things break for people. It's just like part of that decentralized ethos, right? I think we bring the older people bring a much different sensibility of our obligation to our users. It's not always true, but but I, I think that is true. So yeah, it really is. It can be a sea change. So it's really on us to to participate or really you're going to get you're going to get pushed out of the way. The thing I'm present to again is just we're talking very much like this mantle of responsibility on the CTO towards the business, but there's also of course bottom up pressure, right? The your engineers are exploring this. Your team leads are thinking about this. How do we foster innovation and creativity below us in our people? And how do we hold tray of opportunities in front of our C-suite with what's coming up? And I, I love what you said, Augustine, around 
What are the little projects your teams can start doing and how can that percolate up to tangible demos to, to the, the product people involved? So my takeaways are, yes, we're the tech voice to the C-suite. We're also providing the tech vision to the devs. And as such, we need to provide safety for the organization. We need to be curious, ask a lot of questions. There are a lot of unanswered questions there that maybe will be the ones to answer, or at least we'll be paying attention when they are answered. And at the same time, there are a lot of answers out there. So we need to do and we need to learn, even on our own time and whatever we learn, we need to teach. I would say it's on a journey that you take along. Just the CTO digging into Web3 as a task isn't enough. If you want to fundamentally implement some of the stuff, then the entire organization has to understand it at a fundamental level. And if you don't have that, then you have basically one guy trying to get everybody in the company to, to climb up this hill and it's never going to happen. And so, yeah, if you can find, I think I, I sent you at the end a couple of videos and stuff like that of crypto documentaries and stuff like that. If you can find stuff that simplifies the explanation of these things and, and send that to your CEO, send that to your chief operating officer, help them to fundamentally understand how these tools work without having to get into the technical side of it, then I think your uphill battle for implementation of some of this stuff is going to be a, a lot easier when the time comes. If you just go into a whole and do all this six months worth of crypto research. And then suddenly you have this huge presentation that you're going to give and we're going to redo everything. We're going to completely rebuild our backend with smart contracts and all like, we know that's not going to work. And, and so it has to be a trip that you will take together as a company or else you're not going to take it. And they're not going to say no because they don't fundamentally understand it and they don't understand that the benefits themselves, like just you explaining it to them, isn't going to be enough. They have to go out and find you have to give them the information. You have to let them watch the documentaries, watch the videos, watch the stuff and come to the conclusion themselves. So that when you go to pitch an idea that is DeFi, that is, that is Web3 or whatever the case is, they know enough themselves to say yes. I think my comments are, are maybe less CTO advice and maybe more thoughts on how you should proceed, Etienne. I was thinking that newly rich people get together in groups and tell each other about what they do about taxes and trading and where they store their money and how they like they they do this because there's a lot of knowledge that you just don't have you didn't have that problem before in the same way there's a lot of knowledge that we all don't have i wonder if you had some way of having ctos submit lists of questions that are real questions that they have about web3 including ourselves right like i come up with questions that I would benefit from a community of smart tech people thinking about or getting advice from people that are also dipping their toes. And maybe that's what we provide for each other and for the community is thoughtful feedback on these questions that are the coming up out of CTO's thoughts and research and, and experiences uh, around this stuff. And maybe that's a way to generate topics for these new things rather than us just going through what's already out there and saying, let's jump into DAOs and let's jump into right more CTO-specific kind of questions as they come up. Yeah, I think from my perspective, it's about being, being someone that helps foster the organizational enthusiasm around it and becomes amplifier for that so that it's not just the CTO's job to or it can't just be the CTO's job to be the only person who's interested in it, experimenting with it, learning about it. It's got to be it's got to be a group effort. And then beyond that, given the uncertainty with with how 
well we feel we can see the future we have to be really open to changing our minds and and our perspectives pretty often to drive to to drive to san francisco we don't i just don't park, point my car south and drive and never touch the wheel at all points along the journey there's constant adjustments and changes and unless you're really involved in paying attention it's kind of hard to know when you need to turn the wheel so i think getting a group that that you could have discussions with that you could have projects with and then be really malleable about where the end result is, I think, is going to be pretty key over the next 18 months.